This is a very special edition of uh, a dictionary of finance from the European Investment Bank. Special, not just because it's going out on a Thursday instead of a Sunday, but why is it going out on a Thursday instead of a Sunday? Uh, I can only assume it's because it's International Women's Day. What we're going to talk about today is actually gender lending. In other words, when the bank is going to make a loan, usually you would think, what are they going to talk about? They're going to think about uh, the people we're loaning the money to. Will they pay it back? Will they go bankrupt? Are they crooks? Are they frauds? Once you've checked all that out, you can say, all right, let's make the loan. But So now we're also checking whether, in addition to whether they're crooks or not, we're checking whether they're guys or not. We're checking whether the loan will be proactively good for women. Uh, we're also checking whether there will be adjustments to the project that will help women in any particular context. So those could be social things, all kinds of things, which we're going to hear about today. Wow. And addition, additionally, we're going to hear about how that's good news, not just for women, whose international day it is, but it's good for everybody. So we have two people with us uh, this week to talk about gender lending. We have Eleni Kiru, who is the Senior Social Development Specialist at the European Investment Bank. Yes, working in the Environment, Climate and Social Office, uh, which monitors and checks on all of the projects that we do. Um, she used to be, um, she used to do something completely different. Uh, she used to play uh, professional basketball in the uh, Greek National Championships. Is that right? As as professional as it gets without getting a wage, but yes. You didn't get paid? Well, no, there was no wage. You see, the men's league, they were getting a proper salary. Hmm. Ah, we're getting right into the issues exactly. here, aren't we? Good. But the women's league were just being paid some per diems hmm. and our transportation costs. That's inequality there and then. Well, that's, that's why you changed careers and came to work for um, equality in, in the Abbey. Well, my, my, my career track is quite diverse, but yes, where I am now, it's trying to subvert the system from the inside. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Talking of subversion, I think we're going to get to that in a moment, aren't we, with Julia Chambers, who's a social development specialist at the European Investment Bank, working with Eleni. And you have something of an undercover clandestine past. Yes, not MI6 related, but I was um, the assistant to a private investigator in Indonesia. What kind of things did you have to do? So I used to uh, wear wigs and use uh, secret cameras and we'd observe the behavior of uh, bar staff in relation to um, gang violence in Indonesia. Wow, wow. Was this also gender-related violence or just Generic violence. No, just generic. Very male violence, actually, okay. if okay. it was. Oh, we're good at that, aren't yeah. we? Oh, That's yeah. one of our things. Not uh, you and me, Allah, in particular, but just males. Trying right? to keep it friendly until now. Yeah. <laughs> why do you have to wear a wig? Well, oh, why did I, well, I had to look different each time because there weren't that many undercover private investigators. So ah. sometimes I was a brunette, sometimes I had red hair. Wow. That's, That's brave. Yes. Or stupid. <laughs> okay. Well, you know. <laughs> it's in the past. All smarter now. We're doing uh, much less but dangerous sh- stuff. It, it shows you the experience that gender specialists need to have these, yes. this day and age, right? You need to have gone through mm. a lot of 
um, experiences in order to come and well we've all actually gone through a lot of experiences <laughs> lately to do with uh, gender and so on you know in the public sphere there's a lot of things with me too and yeah. balance ton pork in france and so on all these different things that are going on that make people focus on this right now mm. but we at the bank you've been focusing on it for some time what does it really mean gender lending i mean we've approached it in the context of a strategy, we approach it from three different directions. So I'll just kick it off, and yeah, yeah, and, and 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 um, Julia can speak of it, uh, can complement as well. So one way would be exactly what you're saying, Matt. So really focusing at women's economic empowerment with with intent, and I think the words there is focusing, and have the intent and deliver on it. So really, uh, for I was looking uh, earlier this morning at some stats. Um, here in Europe, where we think that everything is hunky-dory and, and fantastically equal, only 30% of startups are startups generated by women, mm-hmm. led by women. Um, even over the weekend, I was reading some studies on how um, challenged females leading venture capital um, initiatives are by perceptions of them not being up for the job. So it's both at the level of perceptions as well as very tangible here in Europe, as well as very tangible access to assets. Let's say if I'm thinking of the Middle East, where the, the law itself prevents women of directly inheriting their assets down to their daughters, for example. So one element would be entrepreneurship, you know, f- focusing, promoting, supporting women entrepreneurs, but another one would be really um, integrating that thinking into the way we design projects. Yep, absolutely. There's also a link to that. I think it's just going back to the invest for a second. It's knowing your market. I mean, for example, if you looked at the number of unbanked people in the world, 50% of those will be women. So if you're trying to reach them, they'll have more mobility issues than men. And that might be for cultural reasons, for a whole host of reasons. And therefore looking at issues such as financial technology and how you might reach those women through mobile technology makes complete sense in terms of accessing even just a, a market that we're not um, necessarily accessing. So, so you mean they don't have a bank account? Yes. They don't physically, they're not able to go to a bank. So, exactly. But there are, other, there are now financial technologies where they could do it on their mobile phone exactly. and things like that. And, that. and as a result, we would be able to access them as a market. So it's also an issue of economic you know, opportunities for us as a bank and, and for them. Um, and in terms of the design of our of our projects, we spoke about this a, a little bit earlier when we were getting ready. Um, there, there's issues around linked to our due diligence, making sure that our projects don't put women at risk. So some of these are around transport, for example, and ensuring that through the design of, for example, roads or underground parkings or underground systems, whatever it is, we're not putting women at risk through poor lighting or making them walk through tunnels rather than bridges you know, above ground and putting them more at risk of sexual violence. So let's just go to a couple of terms that we we just mentioned there. One was due diligence, and then you qualified it by saying social due diligence. So first of all, what's due diligence? And then what what makes that social due diligence? So the bank, the bank's way of, of, of investing, of doing business is to do that against a number of environmental and social standards that ensure that the performance of our investments is solid, it's, it's sound, and it really meets, it complies with the high quality environmental and social that 
we want um, any investment to carry. So the most important thing we want is that people at the level of the investment can freely and without fear of persecution say that, you know what, this project by X promoter that UEAB is financing is not good for our livelihoods, is not good for our cultural lifestyle, whatever. It's, it's creating pollution on our roads, all the tracks of the contractors is creating dust. Or the other day, a child was injured because mm-hmm. whatever. And so, that's another term, right? We call that... All these elements, so social due diligence, going back to Matt's questions, embraces any negative, embraces our look at any negative impacts provoked by investments. When most people hear about due diligence and a bank, they probably think the bank is just trying to figure out, is this company that we're going to make the loan to going to go bust? Uh, Are they going to pay us the money back? And, you know, let's just make sure that they're not criminals. All those kinds of things are what people normally... How much is uh, social due diligence a part of the market? Or is it just something that the EIB does because it's a public institution? It's very much, and what we're seeing recently out there in the market as a trend is that we're moving from a risk-based approach. So people were very, people, institutions or investors were very wary of the reputational risk on them, if something is going to happen. So the trend is more going towards what we call social license. So for an investor to move in and, and, and do an investment, it's really important that they have, they have gained social license from local communities, that there, there is support for that investment. Because if we don't have that support prima facie, from ex ante, we're going to come across those problems later on. And then the question is, how do we put a gender lens in front of that? But when we try to do that, I mean, do companies understand? I mean, when, when, when a company comes to us and we go to them and, and start to ask these questions like why... You know, why do you, um, I mean, does your uh, parking space have enough light? Does, does your road maybe should have less tunnels? Do they, do they respect that kind of um, input from us or, or are they completely stunned by, by this kind of thinking? No, I don't think they're all stunned by this kind of thinking. In fact, I think a lot more of this is happening than we are aware of. Um, and in fact, if it is an easy solution, such as a design one, which won't cost any money, that usually wouldn't face much reticence. Um, where something costs money, that might be more of an issue, and it's about making the business case. And often, including gender in the design of your programmes, will in fact make sure that your programme is more effective and your, your project has a better impact. So it's also about making that specific business case within the context of that project mm-hmm. to the promoter. And in other cases, it is about creating a carrot. Um, So in the Economic Resilience Initiative, we've done so through the use of grants. And we're looking at um, rewarding promoters that um, uh, put in place specific activities that will target women as beneficiaries. When they do so, they could therefore get a higher proportion of grants than they would have done if they hadn't put Mm -hmm. those activities Mm -hmm. in place. So it's a little bit of mix as well of, of finding the right carrots, but also the business case is there and is strong. You know, in the contracts it says, even after we give you the loan, you have to do this, this, and this, and ensure that this happens. Uh, otherwise, we can cancel the the loan. Has has that ever happened? Either have we or some other international financial organization cancelled the contract mm-hmm. because something was not being done the way it should? Two years ago, um, the World Bank cancelled a loan that they had, which was the first 
um, in a long time for them. Um, the council loans um, that they had with public sector in Uganda, it was a transport corridor, precisely because um, minor, minor, minor girl, girls were found to have been sexually um, abused and left pregnant in the Ugandan hinterland by the main labor force of the contractors used on that mm. project. And what was interesting about it is how is, is to look at the steps that World Bank itself took after this incident in order to um, improve their due diligence systems. I mean, now they've come up with manuals and guides on, on how to prevent gender-based violence. It's also something that's a factor in the EU. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned in, in your notes was public transport in France, I think. There was a very high proportion of women there uh, had been sexually harassed while using public transport. So, so even on um, a, a project, let's say, in you know, Paris or anywhere like that, there would be a social due diligence and consequences. If we were to just ask and, and, and give your audience about five seconds to think about it, what's the proportion of women have been sexually harassed? In the workplace, let's say in the workplace in the EU, is it 2 out of 10, 5 out of 10, or 9 out of 10? What would you say, Matt? Hmm. Well, I would say 5 out of 10, but I think you're going to shock me and say it's 9 out of 10. No, is it that? is 5 out of 10. Oh, thank you. That's still, yeah, that's still crazy, what, though, isn't it? And what's the proportion of women who've been sexually harassed in public transport in France? Is it 1 out of 10, 3 out of 10, or 9 out of 10? Yeah, I bet it's that's nine, 9 out of 10. Yeah? Yeah, really? yeah. It is 9 out of wow. 10. It is 9 out of 10. So th you're asking about due diligence, Matt. I'm, the idea would be to um, have these um, statistics in our mind and certainly not move on to um, move along with our business thinking that... It's all taken care of. It's all taken care of. And can I just add something on, on the European side? The other thing is um, beyond the issues of due diligence, et cetera, is actually looking really carefully at the, at the sectors we choose to invest in because some of them will actually create a more enabling environment for gender equality. Like so, so the care economy, for example, and I'll throw a few more stats at you. Well, not stats, but... So the average European woman spends 22 hours a week um, on unpaid work and the average European man spends nine. So if you were to free up some as of that time... As much as that, I can't... Yes. I'm surprised men even do nine hours of unpaid work, so, frankly. So, so, so how do we make that more equal? What, what kind of sectors, what kind so of companies? So if, if you looked at providing more childcare, more affordable, accessible childcare, or a transport system that works better for women, they spend less time taking their child to daycare and then picking up the grandmother from wherever and then getting to work you'd be freeing up a lot of hours in the day that they'd be able to get involved in the economy. So it's, it's a win-win for everyone in that case, for men and for women. And it's looking at that sector as one that would have a long-term enabling effect in, within the European economy. Do we, uh, do we also engage with, with the companies who want loans for, from us uh, in terms of how their, how their uh, companies are set up uh, in terms of equal pay, in terms of equal opportunities for women... I believe they're already doing things. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is we want to see clients that are thoughtful and they're really looking at, at 
equal pay or equal treatment, equal opportunities within within their their companies, within their firm. If there's one message that we would like to give today is that adding the gender lens into our business is not, first of all, an extra effort. It's not a punishing effort. It's not um, it's not an add-on. It's very much an integral part yeah. of of um, the work we do. So I was um, over the weekend. I had a look at the other podcasts that we um, that you had produced. Gender is cross-cutting. It's in everything, nearly everything that we have covered so far so far in the podcast series. It's there in microfinance. It's there mm-hmm. in when you speak about impact investment. It's there when you're speaking of you know development cooperation and and fueling that. So it's very much it's you know you know we're talking about green bonds, but there are gender bonds out there. Mm-hmm. Other organizations are doing gender bonds and women bonds. This is the you know this is um, the study that's cited by everyone, but McKinsey, a couple of years ago, they came out and they said that if um, women are going to be fully targeted and brought onto the, into the economic sphere, an additional $12 trillion in GDP could be generated. Mm, show them the money, right? That gets bankers going, doesn't it? Well, thank you for being along the way to the $12 trillion. And thank you for coming on to a Dictionary of Finance today, Eleni, Julia. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Don't forget to subscribe. You guys too, of course. You've been listening <laughs> to the podcast, but you can subscribe. But we want the people who are listening out there now to subscribe, rate the podcast, and also to be in touch with us on uh, Twitter and let us know what they thought of this episode or other episodes, what they would like to see, and maybe their experiences with gender lending. So that's at EIBMAT, at E-I-B-M-A-T-T, and... And I'm at Dollar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. And we'll see you next week on the next episode of A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank.